Welcome to The Refresh from Insider, presented by WebEx by Cisco. I'm Rebecca Ibarra. Dave is out today, and we have Carrie Donahue coming in for him later in the morning. It is Friday, June 10th, and we're bringing you real-time news, fresh like live radio, but on demand like podcasts. Here's the latest. In an extraordinary first night of public hearings, the House January 6th Select Committee laid out its case that Donald Trump was responsible for what happened that day in 2021. Democrat Benny Thompson is the committee's chair, and he opened the hearing in no uncertain terms. January 6th was the culmination of an attempted coup, a brazen attempt, as one rioter put it shortly after January 6th, to overthrow the government. Republican Liz Cheney of Wyoming, she's the committee's vice chair, mapped out the timeline between election night 2020 and the insurrection, featuring never before seen clips of taped testimony and video of rioters. Cheney wanted to make one thing crystal clear. Trump was told again and again and again that his claims of beating Joe Biden were not true. Here's his own hand-picked attorney general, William Barr. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And his daughter, Ivanka Trump. It affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, So I accepted what he was saying. The hearing's opening night was punctuated by new and violent footage of the Capitol storming and surfaced new facts about the relationship between Trump and the Proud Boys, a white supremacist group. The committee says hundreds of members were highly organized long before January 6th. Evidence showed that during Trump's January 6th speech, they started moving to the Capitol before Trump even began speaking to the crowd. And Proud Boy membership apparently tripled after after Trump made this infamous statement in a 2020 debate with Biden. Proud boys, stand back and stand by. Republican Liz Cheney gave a sneak peek of some of the testimony we'll hear in future hearings this month, including from numerous people who were in the West Wing with Trump on January 6th. And she gave this example of Trump's seething attitude towards his VP, Mike Pence, especially when he became a target of rioters. And aware of the rioters' chance to hang Mike Pence, the president responded with this sentiment, quote, maybe our supporters have the right idea. Mike Pence, quote, deserves it. Liz Cheney is one of the few congressional Republicans who have simply refused to support Trump's claims of a stolen election, and her party has all but disowned her for it. She closed her remarks with this warning. I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. The next committee hearing is on Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and review. It helps people find the show. Coming up, Dave left us a great conversation about the growing trend of online sobriety clubs and why they might not be the best way to get sober.
the changing world of hybrid work offers new possibilities. WebEx enables them with an open platform and many integrated partners, like Notion, Unifor, and SalesLoft. Powerful partnerships power hybrid work. Visit apphub.webex.com. WebEx, working for everyone. You may have heard about SPACs, though it's okay if you haven't. SPACs are often used to take otherwise unprofitable companies public with less transparency than what's usually required for an initial public offering. Well, Aaron Weinman, who writes the 10 Things on Wall Street newsletter here at Insider, says it's getting increasingly difficult to pull off a SPAC given the market environment. SPACs exploded in the last couple of years because the sponsors of the SPAC saw a chance to make money in quicker time than they would through traditional investing means like private equity funds. And investors in SPACs also got higher returns in what was then an environment of rock bottom rates. Investing in SPACs expanded so much that it wasn't just firms plowing into these vehicles. Wealthy individuals like A-Rod or Shaq jumped on board as well. But Aaron says a lot of the companies that went public with SPACs started to struggle. Regulators started looking more closely at how these companies were valued, and recently banks have started to pare back their exposure to SPAC dealmaking. Aaron says there are hundreds of SPACs still hoping to turn a quick return on the next industry disruptor. But it's become increasingly harder. Already this year, 19 companies have called off SPAC mergers, And more than 10% of the companies that have gone public via SPAC in the last two years have said they could go bust. The Department of Justice is opening a sweeping investigation of Louisiana's state police. Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark heads the DOJ Civil Rights Division, and she announced the probe citing a decade-long history of excessive force, illegally targeting black residents, and at least a dozen cases of covered-up police beatings. In some cases, the injuries these individuals suffered were severe, including the death of at least one individual. More revelations out of Uvalde, Texas. During the hour-long standoff, police at Robb Elementary School knew that some children and staff locked inside were alive and needed urgent medical attention. But instead of confronting the shooter, they waited for more protective gear, potentially costing several lives. That's according to video evidence obtained and reviewed by the New York Times. Hey, where's Brittany at? Hey, tell me the truth. Where's Brittany at? That's Britney Spears' ex-husband, Jason Alexander. They were married for 55 hours back in 2004. He live-streamed himself yesterday trying to crash Spears' wedding to Sam Asghari, and somehow he made it inside where there was a scuffle with security. So here's the inside scoop, guys, of the bullshit wedding. Jason Alexander, what's up? They then managed to restrain him until police showed up and took him into custody. Here's a palate cleanser. Robert Brantley, this guy in Louisiana, stopped his car the other day to save a stray kitten. He's on the side of the road. He's gonna get killed for sure. And when he went to pick it up, 12 more just popped out of nowhere. Oh my gosh, there's more. We got a kitten problem. He took them all home, gave them baths, it's all on Instagram, and Brantley told NPR most of the kittens have already been adopted. Now, here's Dave. 
So a lot of people drank more than ever during the pandemic, and now to help them get back on track, online sobriety groups are getting popular. They say they're all about making sobriety seem empowering, and they're less rigid than Alcoholics Anonymous. For instance, you don't have to call yourself an alcoholic to join, but others say they're exploiting vulnerable people and minimizing a serious problem. Insider's Anna Medeiros covers mental health. So Anna, can you describe these online sobriety clubs? These groups are quite different from AA. One reason is that you don't have to hit rock bottom to join. Um, Not that you have to with AA, but it tends to attract people who feel like they have no other choice. And these groups really target the kind of, quote, gray area drinkers. They also don't set up sobriety as the only acceptable end goal. A lot of them count, you know, a reduction in drinking as, as a huge success. But they're also just kind of like, they're more, I would say, like colorful, just their marketing, the tone just kind of visually in contrast to the stereotype of kind of a cold gray basement that you think of with AA. Sober, but not somber. Exactly. They try to make it almost fun. You know, it's a club that you're joining. It's almost like a hobby that you want want to keep up as opposed to a disease that you want to manage. So you write that these groups cater to women mostly. Why is that? So AA has kind of in broad strokes been less welcoming to women, at least, you know, that's what women have reported. And Holly Whitaker, who's one of the founders of these groups, The Tempest, has talked about this a lot, how she believes that AA is kind of rooted in the patriarchy and the idea that you have to sort of give up your power to move on in that group, something that women and underprivileged people basically have to do every day in society. So what do people actually like about these clubs? So I heard over and over that they love how it is not shame-based, which again, a lot of these people feel that AA is. It's really an empowering community. I think that people really become friends and feel comfortable with one another and feel like they're not alone in the fact that they want to question if alcohol is serving them. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that online sobriety groups are can be helpful, but I'm sure they're not all sunshine and daffodils. Is there any harm in this? What are the downsides? Yeah, there are definitely some downsides. Number one, they are not run by licensed mental health professionals. So people, especially people who are physically dependent on alcohol and really need medical supervision to detox, they should not join these groups. It's just for people who have a habit that they want to explore and and hopefully kick. And that's a really good thing. But Mm -hmm. the downside of that is that people may think they fall into that category and then kind of get stuck in this middle ground area of non-treatment because they're being told that they're not an alcoholic when they really do need more intensive treatment. And then I think my biggest qualm with them that I saw a lot was people who were admitting, you know, they were drinking multiple bottles of wine a day for years, sometimes decades, and they had done this 30-day experiment multiple times, sometimes 7, 12 times, and they were drinking throughout and admitting that, and everybody kind of in the group around them was taking on this mentality that the groups promote and saying, oh, it's just a data point. It's all a journey. You're getting better. The fact that you're here and telling us is so great you know, keep it up, which is nice. But the psychologist I talked to really worries that that mentality is going to kind of keep these people trapped when they really should look at that and say, hey, if I can't do this for 30 days, and I've tried it 12 times, maybe I need a higher level of care. 
Another criticism is these groups' dismissal of the term alcoholic. I talked to a therapist and a woman who actually has gone through AA and says that she really finds the term alcoholic empowering. And the rigidity of it is actually really helpful to be able to say, you know, this is what I am and this is how I need to live my life to stay healthy. Very interesting. Anna, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you for having me. Anna Medeiros writes about human behavior and mental health for Insider. Make sure to follow the Refresh from Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover the show. The Refresh from Insider is produced by Frank Alito, Grace Eliza Goodwin, and us, Rebecca Ibarra. And I'm Carrie Donahue, the executive producer. Andy Bowers is the head of audio at Insider, and we had extra help this week from Rob Gunther. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah.